This is the She Gone Nation podcast. And now, former Major League player and your certified hitting guru, Jeff Fry. Welcome to the She Gone Nation podcast. This is episode number 12. Today, my guest is Will the Thrill Clark. Will was drafted in the first round, second overall pick in 1985 out of Mississippi State University, the reigning national champs, by the way. And what I find amazing is that the following year in 1986, he was already in the big leagues and he stayed there for the next 15 years. That's a hell of an accomplishment right there. You're a career 303 hitter and you hit 300 or better 10 of your 15 years. You had over 2,000 hits with 284 home runs, 1,205 RBIs. But I'm sure you're proud of the fact that your career war is 56.5. Not sure if you knew that, Will. <laughs> you were the definition of a baseball player, a gamer, a hard-nosed, no-nonsense type of player that had one of the prettiest swings in the history of the game. It's my pleasure to welcome you, Will the Thrill Clark, to the Shegon Nation podcast. How's it going, Wilbur? Uh, Fry man, I'm good to be here, my brother. Thank you for uh, having me on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was happy... Uh, uh, on my trip to Cody, Wyoming for the Celebrities Against Cancer event that one of your friends, um, I was taking a break from driving and one of your friends said that you were interested in getting in touch with me. And I was so excited. My girlfriend was like, I haven't seen you this excited in a long time. And I was like, this is a special guy. I haven't talked to him in a long time. So I was really happy that you did that. Well, you know, you, uh, you were definitely an important part of the uh, Rangers teams while we were there. And, uh, you know, you were one of the younger guys. So, you know, it was, it was kind of, we took you under the wing and uh, off we went. And, uh, you know, you being a, an infielder, you know, you were especially a second baseman. You and I spent a lot of time on the right side of the infield together and got a chance to know each other really well. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I tell people too is, uh, you know, when most people watch a baseball game, <clears throat> excuse me, they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They don't know the little, in the, you know, or the, hey, Will, yeah. watch out for this soft speed pitch or yeah. you know, the, the, the signs I have with Benji Gill or whoever, Ripper, whoever's playing short and all these little nuances of the game that go on that most people watching a baseball game don't know, don't realize that. Yeah, they, they don't know and don't realize, uh, you know, baseball is one of those kind of sports where, you know, if you watch it on TV, it can get a little boring. Um, but while you're on the field, as you well know, and you kind of alluded to just now, I mean, it, <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, there's signs going on left and right. Uh, you know, people are talking about, you know, what positioning they're going to do with this guy, or that guy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, everybody, everybody's kind of on the same page. Um, you know, it's funny that you, you said, that, you know, the or the, Hey, Will, or anything like that about, you know, breaking balls. So, for, for everybody out there, you know, the second baseman lets the first baseman know when a breaking ball is coming, and same thing, uh, shortstop will let the third baseman know. And, uh, you know, in my job with the Giants, I actually uh, went and worked with uh, our double-A team, and our second baseman was not relaying signs to our, our first baseman. And uh, I said, well, what's going on? He goes, I, I don't know the signs. I said, you're a second baseman? And you don't know the signs. I said, you better figure it out in a hurry here, son. This is double A. This ain't even low A ball. This is double A. You better figure it out. So, uh, <laughs> so it's kind of funny that stuff goes on still. I mean, who, who besides the second baseman, well, the, the pitcher and the catcher and the middle infielders have to know the signs. Yep. Right. Yep. And, I mean, you know, and then, and then if you got, you know, if you got good vision, you know, a center fielder can kind of get a step or two here and there too. But, uh, you know, most of those guys were set up in you know, either in left center or, or right center anyway. Right, right. Well, we were teammates in 1994 and 95 with the Rangers. We had a great group of players on those teams. Man, we could hit, but we had some fun. And we had some characters yep. on those teams. You remember those guys, some of those guys? I'll tell you what, you know, that, that was, you know, we, we had a little bit more of a veteran club. And uh, needless to say, you know, they had the younger guys like yourself and some of the other guys that got called up, but we had a more of a veteran club. And, and like you said, we had some characters, man. There was a lot of laughing and giggling going on in that clubhouse, uh, you know, but then when we took the field, everything was serious. Everybody was, uh, was a good competitor. And uh, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we won uh, two championships uh, there, you know, 
in the, in the five years while I was with the Rangers. Yeah. And I was going over the roster of the, those years, 94, 95. Um, I mean, we had <clears throat> Billy Ripken. We had, I know you spent a lot of time with Ripper and Dean Palmer, but we had Mickey Tittleton, Rusty just had get called up. Yep. We also had, you know, Pudge Rodriguez, Juan Gonzalez, Jose Canseco. Um, pitchers were Paul Paul, Roger Pavlik, Matt Whiteside, Kevin Brown, Kenny Rogers. I mean, you know, some of the best players to ever play baseball for the Texas Rangers. Yeah, that's correct. And, uh, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, not only were they, you know, just really solid major leaguers, but a bunch of them were all-stars too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Juan Gonzalez is MVP. Pudge was MVP a little later on. You know, so, I mean, there is a lot of talent floating around that, that locker room. And uh, like I said, you know, we, we had a lot of fun. You know, we yucked it up a little bit. Uh, but then, you know, when we stepped out on the field, it was all business and the guys did a great job. Yeah, we were. I mean, and that's, to me, that's what made it fun was the, you know, the, in the locker room and on the flights and travel. Yeah. We're all hanging out like, you know, like we were in a fraternity or something. But once it was 7.05, man, game time, it was all business. Yeah, it was all business. And, uh, you know, there was there was so much that went on, you know, in those games. I mean, you know, you mentioned some of those guys right there, you know, Roger Pavlik and uh, Kevin Brown and Kenny Rogers, you know, who wound up throwing a perfect game. And, and you know, Rusty Greer had got called up and he was at the start of his career. You, you were at the start of your career, uh, Billy Ripken had come over from, uh, you know, Baltimore. So, you know, we, uh, we had a, had a great group of guys. Um, you know, it was a, it was a, a little bit of everywhere type of guys. Plus they had some guys that came up through the Rangers system and we wound up playing really well. Yep. Well, you play with some great players during your career, but who would you say was the best player or your best, the best player you ever played with on your team? Um, Pretty much without a doubt, you know, I mean, uh, it had been Barry Bonds. Uh, you know, I played against Barry for a while when he was with Pittsburgh. And then, you know, my last year in San Francisco, which was 93, uh, was also Barry's first year. And he was MVP that year. He did it all. I mean, high average, drove in the runs, played a great left field. You know, he did it all. And he sort of stood out. And then, you know, I get to Texas and I had the pleasure of playing – you know, with Pudge for the for the five years I was there and, and watch Pudge be, go from a younger type of catcher to the, the Hall of Famer that he became. But, uh, you know, just a day-to-day, -day, every every type of guy had been Bonds. Would he also be the best player that you ever played against? Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, probably the best player you ever played against. But then, you know, I mean, I mean, as you well know, I mean, you know, you, you can pick – at least one guy off of each team and just go, man, that dude was a stud. And, uh, you know, I mean, there, there was a, there was a bunch of them. I mean, you could, you could go through the, the national league, you can go through the American league and you can just pick, you know, Griffey jr. Edgar Martinez, Tony Gwynn, you know, Wade Boggs. I mean, you just keep throwing the names out there. All of these hall of famers that were just unbelievable athletes. Right. Well, I hear from a lot of people on social media. I know you, uh, have seen some of my social media stuff that uh, yep. a lot of players from our era couldn't play today. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that's, that's kind of the response I expected that. Yeah. I still, yeah, I still get that. I, I, matter of fact, I had a, I had a, a conversation, believe it or not, with one of our younger players last time I was in San Francisco and, and, you know, he's got maybe a year or two in the big leagues. He goes, do you think you could play on today's stage? And I go, <laughs> I go, dude, I said, the game hadn't changed any, all right? And, and you guys think that these guys that are throwing the baseball today are like, we've never seen this before. We've never seen a guy like Randy Johnson or Pedro Martinez or Nolan Ryan or guys like that that you had to face all the time. You, you think that you're the only guy that had a challenge? And matter of fact, what I did was, believe it or not, I told them I could play today as, as could all of my, you know, teammates, guys that came before me, because the game really hasn't changed that much. The one thing that has changed is now on TV, they got that little freaking box and that ball has to go through the little box. When we played, it wasn't nothing to give, you know, five or six inches on that outside <laughs> corner. And I, 
I tell everybody, you better be able to move around in the batter's box. You didn't move around the batter's box. Guess what? You were going to pull a lot of offers and your ass was gone. <laughs> yeah. And I see a lot of highlights of, uh, yeah, I was actually watching a highlight of Tony Gwynn today facing Kurt Schilling. And the first pitch I saw for a strike was about six inches outside. Yep. And I was like, well, that's what it was like when you go and play the Braves, when you got uh, Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox uh, yeah. for a three-game set. is like, you better be ready because it's six <laughs> inches outside. It's four or five <laughs> inches inside. That's right. And that's because right. they are who they are, they're getting those pitches. And you better you be able that to right. You know, they've, they've, proven, they've proven their worth over time, and they're going to get the pitches. Plus, on top of that, you know, as, as you remember, I told you this, you know, a lot of it depends on the umpire you get behind the dish because – you know, hey, look, back in the day, you had some guys that were really aggressive. They wanted to get that game going. And, I mean, they would not be afraid to open up that strike zone pretty good, get the game going. And, you know, about the sixth, seventh inning, that's when they sort of shrunk the strike zone down. But in the meantime, man, you were just sitting there wearing it sometimes unless you did a good job of hitting, moved in the batter's box, stuff like that. Yeah, now the, uh, the umpires are graded on the pitches they call in the zone, outside yep. the zone. So yeah. they're not – they're trying not to call those pitches that are inch or two outside yeah, because no. we're going to get a negative grade when they do that. Yeah, no, and, and it's it's hysterical. I mean, you know, you, we just talked about it. I mean, you know, you watch a game and you got the little box on TV and, you know, I mean, it misses by that far and they go ball. And I was like, oh, I've only had that one called a strike a thousand times on me, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, hey, look, you know, the game, the, you, we talk about it, you know, the game hasn't changed any. I mean, it's still, you know, you got to catch it, you got to throw it, you know, you got to hit it, the whole works. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why it's a, you know, a marathon. It's, it's 162 games because whoever starts out like a house on fire isn't necessarily the team that's going to end up with a house on fire. So, um, you know, it's a great game. I love to watch it. I still love to watch it. I'm involved with it. You know, we, I'm one of the special hitting guys with the, with the Giants. So not only do I see the major league side of things, I also see the minor league side of things and, you know, get a chance to kind of pass on the sport. And I know that's, that's what you're trying to do, not only, you know, in your everyday life, but also in this podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the state of the game, and I'm glad you touched on this, um, you know, everybody talks, I'm sure you know this, but a lot of people talk about your swing. Sure. Your swing was one of the prettiest swings that they'd ever seen. Oh yeah. They mentioned you. They mentioned Ken Griffey Jr. Oh yeah. Um, you had a natural flowing swing. The timing was, you know, when it was on, when it, you did everything right. It didn't. There's nobody I ever seen that looked better. And, and I also <laughs> loved when you did the cape. Love the a cape. Little, a little follow um, through up here. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, before we get into the state of the game, what is, uh, or even if I don't even know if you even have one, but did you have a hitting philosophy? You know, my hitting philosophy was, uh, you know, kind of look for the pitch uh, wherever it might be. One of the big things that I did was I cut the plate in half. Um, so instead of having, you know, 17 inches, I was working with, with eight and eight or nine. And I'd either pick away or in, depending on what I saw in video that day, you know, preparing for the game. Then as soon as I saw that, I picked up on a pattern. Uh, what a guy throws 1-0, what he throws 0-1, uh, what he throws 2-1. Tried to pick up on those kind of patterns. As soon as that happens, I take that into the cage. I worked on it. You know, I'd get 100 swings, 150 swings, sometimes 200. It just depended on, you know, how many swings you wanted that day. Then come about, what, what was it, about 4, 4, 15 we had BP right up in there? Well, that was stretch. We usually hit probably – 4 30 to 5 10 yeah. or something like okay. that okay all right so then so then after you get you you know your 100 200 swings in the cage you know on your side work then you then you go out there for batting practice you get another let's say 30 or 40 swings and then you know i tried to work on exactly what i was going to see in the game so then when it came in the game i was completely prepared and nothing like phased me nothing like surprised me it was like oh yeah i did my homework and that's the pitch that is supposed to come right now. Right. And did you, did you sit on certain pitches? Like I always looked fastball because yeah. that's what I wanted to hit, you know, but you yeah. would sit on, you know, that you saw this guy throws a one, one breaking ball a lot. You might sit on his breaking ball. 
Uh, you, you're exactly correct. You know what I mean? You know, for a guy like yourself or, you know, some of the other, you know, guys who are in the top of the lineup, first and second hole hitters, they're going to see a lot more fastballs because they don't want to get to the middle of the order guys and, you know, have two or three guys on. They, they want to get there with nobody on. So they try to make, you know, quick work of, of the guys at the top of the lineup. So you guys saw a lot more fastballs. Middle of the order guys, you're talking about three, four, five guys, maybe even in the six hole. Uh, we started seeing a lot of breaking stuff, a lot of off-speed stuff, and especially in the American League. I mean, 2-1, 3-1, 3-2, you could bet your life on it. It was not going to be a fastball. And so, you know, like, like you mentioned just now, I did sit on a lot of pitches. So not only am I sitting in or out, but then I'm also sitting either breaking ball, change up, sinker, whatever it might be. So, you know, when you sit there and you, you narrow your choices down that much, you get to be really good at what you're doing. Right. And so when you got to two strikes, would you still sometimes sit on off speed? You know, when I got to two strikes, I always tried to look fastball, but you know, you get that little brain in the back of your head that, you know, the little, the little, the little devil on your shoulder, it's going, Hey, he's still going to throw you a breaking ball. And, uh, you know, so I'd have it maybe in the back of my brain, but I was still looking fastball with two strikes because you wanted to try to make sure that you got a good pitch to handle. But then if it was a ball, it's the it's I'm getting back into the at bat. So if it was one, two, now it's two, two. I, I got the count even in my favor. Let's try to get to, you know, three, two and, and, and be a little bit more uh, down the road in the at bat. Plus, on top of that. You know, once you start seeing that many pitches, especially when you get to 2-2, two, 3-2, two, two, pretty much in every at-bat, you are getting your teammates involved because they're like, oh, okay, yeah, 1-1, one, one, he threw that. 1-2, he threw that. 2-1, he threw that. And so they can start picking up on patterns too, just like you were. Yeah, and that that's what it used to be in the game, at least the role of the first and second hitters was – especially the first was to see as many pitches as you could. Yep. So the other guys coming up behind you, the, the big boppers and the, the run producers, you know, they don't have to waste in that bat trying to see what this guy's got. And, you know, many times I would have a six, seven, eight pitch at bat and make it an out, but still felt like I helped my team out. You know, you definitely, I, you yeah. definitely did. You definitely did because you and I talked about this, you know, I mean, the whole time you're up there, six, seven, eight pitches, whatever you had, all right. It didn't matter whether you were right-handed, left-handed. I'm still paying attention. I'm still getting a lot of knowledge. I've already looked at video. I already got a real good idea what's going on. Now I want to see what's going on on the field. What pitch is he feeling good about? What pitch is he bailed out on? You know, those kind of things. And so it just made your job getting a lot easier. Yeah. And I don't think you see that much anymore. The table setting guys. I see so many of these, so many teams have, looks to me like their best hitter hitting like second like why in the world is mike trout hitting second or yeah no you know no, I mean, uh, you know i mean that's that's the i know we're going to touch on it but that's a new wave statistician bs that you know i mean what, let's get mike trout uh, you know we'll move him into two poles so he can get maybe one more at bat a game well with uh the angels pitching they're probably not going to get one more at bat a game you know so uh you know i just you know that's like that's like the bullpen you know the closer by committee you know no freaking hand it over to the guy that knows how to close out the damn game that's who i want out there yeah exactly and and one of the things i see in the games today that is is so much different than when we played is that strikeouts seem to be accepted now oh god it was nothing (laughs) oh pissed me off more than striking out it felt like a complete failure when i struck out and i tried you know i always tried to walk more than i struck out i know you did too um i was pretty close in my career i didn't have nearly at bats you did but to me if i had one-to-one or close to it walks or strikeouts you know i think i was doing a pretty good job yeah yeah and then and then you know if you had good years you know when you i guess you want to say you know when you were swinging the bat well you saw the ball well it might be a lot more than that. It might be a lot more walks than strikeouts. And, you know, here's the thing about that. I mean, when you look at it from an overall game perspective, if, if you or I, let's say our team goes out there and we strike out 17 times a game, which happens 
all the time. Right? You know, you guys know that. That means the other team only has to field the ball 10 times in a game. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you know, we have, and Jeff, you know, just because we had so many good hitters and stuff, we would literally have games where we had three or four strikeouts, maybe five, you know, and the other team has to field the ball cleanly 22, 23 times, and you put pressure on a team that way. When you just walk your ass back to the dugout, because first off, you struck out. Second off, you didn't give a rat's ass about battling the guy and, and working the count and trying everything possible to put the ball in play. No, you just caved in and you said, right, I'm down in the count, I'm going to strike out. That's, that's bull, and I'm seeing a lot more of that now. Yeah, well, it's accepted. It's like, you know, I think these guys are being told, don't change your swing because if you hit a ground ball, you're going to be out anyway. So don't do it. Keep trying to hit the ball, drive the ball in the air and hit an extra base hit. Yep. Yep. You know, and and look, I mean, you know, he's a major leaguer. So, you know, he, he better have a thick skin, but you know, I I say a guy like Joey Gallup, you know, he's an all-star. Don't get me wrong. He's an all-star, but Look at what he does, you know, 26 homers, 52 RBIs and a hundred and whatever strikeouts at the break. It's like, dude, you know, I mean, yeah. And then they'll say, well, he has a 400 on base percentage because he walks a lot. Well, then we walked a lot too. Guess what? You put the ball in play a little bit more. Instead of hitting 230, you're going to hit 260 or 270. And then you're going to help out your teammates even more. So this is a, this is a game that, you know, you keep rolling and you keep passing the torch down the line. So the, the leadoff hitter passes it to the two hole who passes it to the three hole hitter, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, this, this, this striking out and just walking back to the dugout and being content with it, it absolutely chaps my ass. <laughs> That's good because I know it does mine too. Especially when I see a guy with two strikes swing like he's trying to hit one 500 feet i'm like he's not even trying to shorten up and put the ball in play he's worried about you know and and you even said it right there you know shorten up what about you know coming off the bottom of the knob you know just a half inch maybe and then you get a little bit more back control and in this way i can wait a fraction longer to make sure it's a strike or not and like we said before get back into the at-bat these guys now, I mean, it's they're taking they're taking O2 hacks like it's 2-0. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, you're taking a you're taking an O2 hack and you actually think you know what the hell's coming. It's like you gotta be kidding me. Why do you think that is? I mean, I know you work uh, with the Giants um, hitters a lot, and why do you think that is that mindset? Is it just they're being told not to do it? Well, uh, you know, here's here's the thing. You see it in doing what you do. I mean, there's so many people now that are getting into sport that have never played the sport. I mean, you have people that are, you know, for lack of a better term, hitting instructors and stuff like that, never played. And wait a second, you're going to teach me how to hit a baseball after I've got this many at bats and you want me to do this and do this and do this because you read it in some book. It's like, no, 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 son. Let me tell you what the hell is going on here. Yeah, these guys, uh, those are the guys that hate me. Oh, <laughs> those are the hey, guys. Look, that some, of the stuff, <laughs> oh, some of the stuff that you do on the She Gone Nation. Oh, I love it. Like, like these idiots, these idiots that got the freaking PVC and they got the kid going like this. I'm like, what the hell are we doing? Are we freaking swinging a baseball bat? Or are we uh, trying to put a culvert in the ground? Yeah, and those are the same people that say that. Uh, I, I wouldn't even get drafted today that I was a Judy yeah, and I'm sitting yeah. there going, um, how many at bats did you have in the big leagues? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, the, the other one that, that I saw, you know, that my buddy sent me was some guy had like a fishing net or something like oh, that. Yeah, making yeah. fun of him. I'm like, Jesus Christ, what are we doing? Catching freaking bass and stuff? Or are we freaking hitting a baseball? What the hell's going on here? Yeah, it's major MLB, Major League Bass hitting. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is hey, great. Look, you know, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. You know, I mean, I learned from the generation that came before me. Uh, you know, the guys who were the special hitting instructors when I was there was Willie Mays and Willie McCovey. 
who the hell you think I'm going to listen to? You think I'm going to listen to some meathead that's never played the sport before? Or you think I'm going to listen to two Hall of Famers that are the best that's ever been? Guess what? I do the common sense thing. I listen to the Hall of Famers. You idiots that are out there that have never played the sport before, get the fuck out the sport because you're screwing it up. Exactly. And those, those two names that you just mentioned, I mean, those were two of my heroes because oh, I grew gosh. up. I grew up a Giants fan and Willie Mays and William Big Stretch. And man, those guys, you know, if those guys talk to me about hitting, I'd listen to every word they every said. Every word, every and, word. Unbelievable. See, huh? <clears throat> Willie Mays was probably, I don't know. He might have been, <clears throat> he might have been late 50s, might have even been early 60s. And we were behind the batting cage and Kevin Mitchell was giving him a ration of grief and just ragging on him, just to rag on him. And Willie was taking it pretty good. And then Willie had enough. And Willie's like, give me a damn bat. I'll show you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, because I played with you, but I, I was swinging 35-33, and I handed it, you know, I handed it to, to Willie. And he, like, goes like this. And he goes, I don't want that little two-pit. And you just, like, threw it over his shoulder. <laughs> and uh, he went up to Mitchell. Mitchell was swinging a 35-35. He goes, yeah, that's about right. And he gets in the batter's box. And the third swing, he took it, he took the bat practice guy out over the center field monster in dead center field, third swing. I stood there and I witnessed it. And I turned to Kevin Mitchell and I said, Boogie Bear. I said, whatever you do, I said, quit picking on the best that's ever been in the sport. All right. <laughs> quit picking on him because he he just did stuff that we can't even do. And he, can't play, awesome. he can't play today, though. He wouldn't be. Yeah, okay, he couldn't right. yeah. today. Yeah, and oh, he never. Yeah, and he supposedly never saw fastballs either. Yeah, like Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax and guys like that. You know. Well, they don't yeah. realize this too, and I've said this to people that that argument that goes, people today would like you take someone today and take them back to when Babe Ruth and back in the twenties, and they would kill. And I'm like, no, they wouldn't. They go, oh yeah, look, I said, dude, they're not going to be conditioned like they are now back in the twenties. You know, yeah. they probably come from a malnourished home. They don't get videotapes to look at what the pitcher's doing every day, and they're not going to be near as big as they are right now. It's just like the in everything. It's all different. You bring da Babe Ruth or Josh Gibson up here and put them on the programs they are today, they're going to freaking take you 800 feet like they did back then. That's exactly what's going to happen. I tell, I tell everybody, you know, it doesn't matter whether it was the 20s, the 50s, the 80s, or today. A pro is a pro. Absolutely. There's a reason he is a pro. He is much better than everybody else. And it doesn't matter if you are an eight-time all-star or if you are just making the club, all right? If you are a pro, you are much better than any amateur that ever walks around. You took one swing in the major leagues. You have scoreboard over me. <laughs> Seriously, one swing. If you took one swing, you can go, I took one swing in the major leagues, and I just have to shut up. I can't say anything. <laughs> well, you mentioned to me, uh, Will, the other day that uh, you went, um, I guess, represented the Giants at the MLB draft, the yeah. amateur draft, and you happened to run into um, one of my least favorite people in baseball, the uh, the commissioner. And uh, I think me, uh, Rob. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, you guys had a little conversation. Would you you care to talk about that at all? Yeah, sure. So uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm. I actually sat across the table uh, from Rob uh, because he was the, the owner's attorney back then during the strike in 94 and 95. So, I mean, you know, I, I'd never really talked to him, but I know who he is. And uh, we were backstage at the draft and um, you know, I walked up to him and I said, Hey Rob, how you doing? And he goes, Hey, Will, how's everything? I hadn't seen you in a long time. I said, yeah, I said it was been since 94 and 95. He goes, yeah. You know, the, the Player Association, they got a new attorney and, you know, he's playing hardball. And I said, look, I said, you know, your job as a commissioner is make sure we don't have a work stoppage. So just, you know, do whatever <laughs> we need to do to make sure we don't have a work stoppage. And I said, while I'm on the subject, I said, quit messing with the rules of the game. I said, the, the players do not like these rules that you're trying to jam down our throat. And, uh, you know, I've had a chance to see some of them in action. Um, when I was uh, with our team in Eugene, Oregon, which was high A ball in that league, you have to uh, disengage from the rubber. So that means you got to step off every time in order to throw the ball to first base. And if you throw the ball more than twice to first base, it's an automatic balk. So he gets second base anyway. 
I was, I was what I saw six games in Eugene and it was like a freaking track meet over there. I mean, because nobody picked off the first base. I mean, they had catchers running guys who were running five flats to first base were trying to steal second base. So, you know, these rules that are, you know, being sort of jammed down our throats, uh, they're doing nothing for the game. They're not, they're not helping the game out any. What was his response? Uh, he just sort of kind of like put his head down, walked off. I, I got to go. I'm like, all right, see ya. Check it. <laughs> see ya. Yeah, that's one of the things. So I made a list of some of the rule changes that have taken place. And I know some of the proposed rule changes. Yeah. Um, and I just can't wait to hear what you think of these things. Now, the first one is not really a rule change, but it's the uh, exit velocity and launch angle. Apparently now we judge hitters based on their exit velocity and launch angle, um, just on balls they make contact on, by the way. Not the nine out of 10 times they swing and miss, but when they do finally make contact and that sucker is 110 miles an hour at a perfect 25 degree launch angle, man, we got a homer. But what about the ones that we're swinging through? I just love to hear what you have to say about those. Yeah, like like you just said, you know what I mean? Don't worry, don't worry about the other 10 swings that you missed by a freaking country mile. Worry about the one that you freaking your softball swing ran into. Worry about that. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, you know, back in the day, and you know, this goes back to the Willie Mays and Willie McCovey. You know, Willie was talking about, you know, I wanted to go up there and I wanted to hit the ball on the screws every time and just let it let it eat. And, you know, I mean, we got to the point where, you know, being major leaguers. You know, you're working on hitting the ball eight, nine times right on the screws just to get three hits and, and become a great hitter. You know, so now you divide that by all of these BS strikeouts these guys got. It's 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 a unbelievable, you know. So, you know, I me personally, and I, I tell everybody this, I said, you know what, launch angle and exit velocity, I said. If, if you guys would like have been charting that shit back then, you'd have said Tony Gwynn's a terrible hitter. Why? Because his launch angle would be minus probably eh, maybe minus five, minus six. But all he did was hit rocket ground balls through the infield. And he got 3,300 hits doing that. Mm-hmm. Rod Carew. Yep. Rod, Rod Carew could soft serve that sucker to left field yep. with the best of them. Wade Boggs. You know, Wade I mean, Boggs. he's inside out everything. <clears throat> You know, fillet one here and fillet one there. And, you know, you look at it and you go, those those guys right there probably would have been, I guess you want to say, picked apart now in the major leagues because everything's stat this, stat that, stat this. Well, you know what I mean? Hey, look, I, I tell these stat guys all the time, you know, I said, you need to watch the game and you need to use some common sense to go along with the stats. I get it. There's a place for it. I get that. But you can't sit there and say this number is exactly correct. Cause it's not. Yep. Right. I agree hundred percent with that. What are, what are your thoughts on the, uh, the shift and this idea that uh, we need to outlaw the shift cause it's yeah. just not fair. And we need to make this game a little bit easier for the guys. Cause that the league's hitting two forty. Yeah, league's hitting 240 because everybody and their grandma are trying to pull everything. They can't hit the ball the other way because they don't work on it, first off. Second off, they don't know what the hell they're working on to hit the ball the other way. And so in the the meantime, we got eight guys standing on that side of the field. Well, guess what? You're supposed to have eight guys standing on that side of the field. You can't hit the ball left field. You dumbass, you need to work (laughs) at it. You need to work on hitting the ball the other way. All right? Make yourself a better rounded hitter instead of a one-dimensional hitter. You give me a one-dimensional hitter, I will freaking pitch to his ass any day of the week. Right, right. And, and I think, for me at least, I think I learned how to hit the ball um, to different fields as a kid, okay? When we were playing in the street, yeah. all right, and we had three players or two players, well, yep. one of the fields was closed. That's right. So you hit the ball. If, if I'm a right-handed batter, Okay, playing wiffle ball, uh, right field's close. If I'm a left-handed batter, left field's close. And we learned how to hit the ball that way, and you learn to swing at pitches that you could hit that direction. That's exactly correct. That's exactly correct. So one of the things that 
we worked on and whether it was early in the day or whether it was during batting practice was worked on pitches that were not in our wheelhouse, shall we say. I know what my power was. I know what my strength was. That's not what I worked on. I worked on my weaknesses because guess what? The pitcher is going to my weakness. He's not going to my power, right. you know? And then there's another thing too. You figure out when he's got his butt in the ringer, what did, what pitch does he go to? What side of the plate does he go to? This is the whole game within the game, you know, being walking up there. All right. And, and saying, all right, I'm going to hit the ball on the third deck or whatever. I hate to say it, but you know, when, when we play in every day, it's like, okay, if I wanted to go hit, you know, 10 in the upper deck, I'll go try to hit 10 in the upper deck and I'll, I'll get a bunch of them out there, but that's not how I'm going to get pitched in the game. So why, why even work on it if I'm going to get pitched away? So there you go. Yeah. Those 10 bombs you try to hit in batting practice aren't going to do you any good when the game comes around. That's correct. And, and on top of that, and on top of that, you think it's going to do my teammates any, any justice. They don't want to come up there when nobody's on the guys in the windup. They want to be up there when he's in a stretch and he's got two runners on and, you know, his butt's in a ringer and, you know, he's going to make some mistakes out over the plate and whammo, here we go. Well, that's one of the things we used to, and I don't know if it still happens today. Uh, I know they have a lot of meetings um, before games nowadays, probably a lot more than we used to, but, you know, we typically the start of a, a three or four game series, we would have a defensive meeting, a hitters meeting, and the pitchers would have their meeting, right? Yeah. And we'd go over the scatter reports where we're going to play these guys, um, you know, and how these guys are going to pitch us, what pitches they might have. And then we'd go into the three-game series knowing all that stuff. We didn't need cheat sheets in our pockets. We didn't need wristbands on our wrists, you know. And that's one of the things I just cannot stand it when, when I see these players pulling these freaking cheat sheets out of their pockets <laughs> every time a new batter comes up. What are we doing? They look like wide receivers. Uh, Here's, uh, here, here's one for you. That one, that one right there is one of my pet peeves. So, you know, like you just said, we go through a, a hitter's meeting, go through a defensive meeting, we go through a pitcher's meeting. Okay. So in these meetings, they'll have, okay, Max Scherzer. Here, here you go. He's fastball, breaking ball, change up, like throws change up, you know, in crucial situations. This is, this is the kind of stuff that's going to go on in the meeting, right? I'll be damn, if we don't go over that meeting and, and like you fast forward two hours, somebody comes walking to the hitting instructor and goes, hey, what's this guy got? It's like, <laughs> we just went over it in a meeting. That's first off. Second off, he's 60 feet from you. Turn your ass around and watch him and he'll show you what the hell he's got. How about that one? <laughs> like retain some of that freaking information i just gave you we're not doing this for free here we're not doing it for fun you need to pay attention jackass and not to mention if you know probably most of these guys have faced him before oh Do you yeah not remember i remember we, we faced a guy in may okay if i face kevin apier in may or somebody like that come june or july we face him again i remember you know it you know it yeah like it was because, yesterday i don't yeah. need you to tell me it's 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 absolutely hysterical it's like these idiots got short-term memory loss it's like it, you really don't know and then here's another one for you all right and then this this takes it to the next level you and i kind of talked about it but let's say we make a pitch and change all right whammo sure it comes out here comes one of reliever we just went over this idiot in the, in the meetings too you should remember it that's first off second off what hasn't changed in this whole equation the catcher he's going to call the same thing that he was calling for scherzer for the next guy and so you can get a pattern on the catchers as to what he was calling and what's going to get called by the reliever so there you go so i went to a, a ranger series earlier in the year they were playing the padres and it was a pitching change and i was watching on tv and on the monitor and i saw the manager come out with four different cards for each infielder and exchange the cards that they already had in their pockets and it's like okay here's a new defensive strategy and i was like what is going on what if what if they how do they who keeps track of these cards first off and as a player 
I know if somebody would have handed me a card, I know we were different back in the day. If somebody would have handed me a card, some intern, I just said, get this shit out of my face. I don't want this card. I've, I've been playing against this guy for five years. I don't need this card to tell me where to play. No, it's, it's absolutely hysterical. Some, some of the stuff that you see and some of the stuff you hear, you just shake your head. Um, we went over a pitchers meeting and it was a, it was a left-handed pitcher. And the previous start, the guy threw, let's just say 75 pitches. He threw 60 fastballs, 14 breaking balls, and one changeup. And the little, the little stat dude says, hey, just want to let you know that that one changeup was a left-on-left changeup. And I go, <laughs> I go, hey, you freaking moron. I said, what about the other 74 pitches? That's what I'm worried about. I ain't worried about one changeup. You know? Why don't you tell, instead of telling me, you know, what pitches he throws, tell me what side of the plate he goes to. Tell me that. Right. And they all look at you like, oh, I can't tell you that. Well, that's my job. Yeah, you can't <laughs> tell me that. <laughs> okay. What about, uh, what are your thoughts on the man on second in extra innings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and some of those, some of those 18, 19 inning games that we played back in the day, they wouldn't have happened with, with a man on second base. Yeah, that, that goes back to our man, Rob, and quit messing with the game. Quit Leave the rules alone, you know? And then people go, well, you know, uh, he's saving the pitching staff. And nah, 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 nah. Hey, guess what? That's part of the game, you know? Hey, if, if you didn't score the game, if you didn't score during the game, you went extra innings. And then if you had to go eight extra innings, you went eight extra innings. And if, if we chew up the bullpen, well, somebody's got to be the sacrificial lamb. Sorry, you got to go, dude. Yeah, well, they don't have those guys anymore. Now we just go to a utility infielder. Um, I've never seen so many position players pitch in my life. Yeah, it's it's hysterical. I mean, you know, I mean, it was it was almost an embarrassment if you had a position player that pitched. That's how bad you were playing if you had a position player. Now it's like, <laughs> let's go, let's go chunk a shortstop out there. It's like, yeah, no, 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 sorry. Yeah, and they make it like it's just. Uh, like it's a, uh, the game doesn't matter. Guys are jumping around and laughing and having fun. It's like, okay, you're kicking our ass. I'm embarrassed and I'm pissed off. And now you're bringing a shortstop out here to throw 50 miles an hour. And let's all just have some fun today. It yeah, was embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look at the all-star game, you know, Vlad Jr. about took Scherzer's head off, you know, and he goes back over the mountain and hugs him. I'm like, what? He hugged him? Get the hell off the mound. Nobody... That was like cardinal rule. Stay off of the pitcher's mound, especially the opposing pitcher. Your own guy was a different story, but the opposing pitcher, stay off the mound. You know, that was first off. Second off, you know, look at the look at the freaking softball uniforms that they were featuring for the All-Star. That's game. what I called them. Yeah. Softball uniforms. Oh my God. It looked like it looked like a bozo to clown out there. <laughs> yeah, those were bad. I think that's probably the biggest uh thing I've seen on social media is from the the all-star game was it uh, how horrible the uniforms yeah. were and how cool yeah. it used to be to see your favorite team players representing your team. Like That's I love right. seeing, you know, Willie McCovey and, and Jack Clark, who was my hero growing up yeah. in their orange giants uniforms for representing the giants and the all-star game. That was tradition. Yeah. That was cool. And this yeah. crap. Yeah, no. And then here's another thing too, and, and you know this is this is getting a little bit more involved, but you know as far as scheduling goes, um, you you and I know because we did it, but like the month of September, you should be playing in your division to win your division crown. Yep. You should not have to be playing interleague games in September when you're going for your division crown. Yep. So. You know, let's say let's say the the Yankees and the Red Sox. All right, let's just call it this one. Instead of them playing head to head, no, uh, somebody's playing the Colorado Rockies or somebody's playing, you know, somebody like that. It's like wait 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 wait. I'm going for the NL East title, but yet I'm playing somebody from the NL West. It's like no, that should not happen in September. All that crap should happen during the course of the year, and then the month of September ought to be this is playoff time. And then this is pennant race within our division. Yeah, get that stuff in the first half of the season or the first two-thirds of the season. And the end of the season, when it's a pennant race time, play your division. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because even, right. even the last place teams want to play spoiler. 
They want to play sport. Right. That's exactly what they want to do. You're right. And, and you know, they, they don't care. I mean, you know, let, let's just say it was the Rockies like we talked about. They, they actually might get up more for the game going in there playing the Red Sox or the Yankees than they would against playing the Dodgers or the Pirates or the Giants. Uh, excuse me, the Dodgers or the Padres or the Giants because they're division rivals. Right. You know? Yep. yep. So you never know. All right, Will, we got uh... – what are your thoughts on the uh, automated strike zone they're talking about? You know, that's, that's another one too. That that's, they're doing that over there in the Atlantic league and, you know, for everybody out there, I don't know if they know it, but you know, the, the ball goes through the zone and they have a system that's called track man and it determines whether it's a strike or a ball and the umpire has an earpiece and it. It basically beeps. So it'll go like that. And then the umpire will go strike, but no matter what the system is, there's a delay in there. And so that delay in there is probably going to cost somebody at some point, at least a game or two because of the umpire having to wait on that decision before you went, yeah, strike. And I, I've always thought that, uh, you know, the, the umpires, the guys with the personalities, the Durwoods, yeah. You know, the, the Jim McKeons, the yeah. Richie Garcia, Tim Cheetahs. It was fun interacting with those guys, yeah. you know, and, and we get pissed off at them when we felt like they met, missed a call. Um, but we know it's not easy being an umpire. It's just part of the deal. And yeah. a lot of times they would kind of try and pay you back or whatever, you know, but I think that's, that's just part of the fabric of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you had to have, like we said before, you had to have interaction you know, with the umpire. And if they're going to do this automated stuff, we're going to lose, we're going to lose these umpires. These umpires, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be pissed off that they're getting this automated stuff. I guarantee you they're already pissed off right now, but you know, like you just talked about the interaction, you know, you would, you would have a Jim McKean or Richie Garcia or whatever, and you'd put your head down and you go, Richie, is that as far as he can go out there? And he says, yeah, you know, that that's the limit right there. Okay, now I know what the limit is on the strike zone that day. Okay, so that it was valuable information. Whereas now, you you know, if, if they do that automated stuff, we're going to lose all of that, and and it'll be just a, you know, it'll it'll be an automated game. You won't have you know individuals anymore. It'll be an automated game. Yeah, and I'm against the automated strike zone too. But the one reason I would agree or maybe accept them doing it is to see the catcher stop catching on one knee. Oh, God. It's freaking horrible for the Oh, game. God. I had that, I had that discussion with our, with our catching coordinator because I was in double-A, and the kid behind the dish, uh, you know, and this is double-A, but the kid behind the dish boxed three in a row. I mean, and it was three breaking balls in the dirt, but because he was on one knee, and he couldn't get squared up. The ball hit him and whammo, ejecto, jobby. And we literally had a runner at first go first, second, third, home without even getting a ball out the infield, nothing, just by him being stuck in the dirt with his knee. And I still have not got a answer that suits me right now. And they're, they're trying to tell me that when you're on a knee, you get lower and you can pull the ball up into the strike zone. Okay, that's your, that's your theory, all right? That's what you're trying to tell me. But at the same time, we're calling high fastballs. So why the hell is he on a freaking knee when we call in high fastballs? Don't call a high fastball. How about that one? Yeah, and how about the umpires? I mean, if I'm an umpire and I know that these guys are basically trying to deceive me, and steal strikes. Yeah. If I see him move his glove, which used to be the case when we played, if the catcher moves his glove more than a fraction, it's the ball. I don't oh, yeah. care. Okay. You know, and, and if they hit the glove, a lot of times even setting off the plate when we face Smoltz and, and Glavin and Maddox, I mean, Javi Lopez would set four or five inches off the plate and he would split him and he called a strike every time. Yep. yep. Right. And you couldn't yep. hit it. You couldn't even reach it. Yeah, right. No, but right. now, but now it's like these guys are on a knee and it's like, okay, nobody on, uh, fine. Maybe it saves your career. Maybe you can play an extra month of in your career, save yeah. your knees. Okay. But with two strikes or a runner on base, 
you better never be on a freaking knee. That's never. right. That's right. Because you have to move one way or the other. Okay. First off, because you have to center your body in front of the ball and you have to like kind of surround it a little bit so that the ball hits you and stays right there. We don't want it sort of angled to where the ball hits and ejects this way. And that's what I was telling, you know, the catching instructor. I'm like, I'm like, look, you're trying to like create this new way of catching, but it ain't working because some of these kids can't do it. They cannot do it. So why even teach it? And on top of that, like I said before, why try to steal a low strike when we call them high fastballs? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's absolutely asinine some of the stuff that's going on now. But it's not going anywhere, apparently. And I don't, I mean, I don't really get it. It's, uh, it really bothers me when I see a guy call a breaking ball with two strikes, knowing a breaking ball is coming and it bounces and he still gets by you. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you, I, I actually saw this in the minor leagues. Uh, I, I haven't seen it in the major leagues yet, but you know, you got a smaller catcher, not a big catcher, a smaller catcher. He's down on the knee. The ball f- bounces in front of home plate and he whiffs it and it freaking catches the umpire dead in the mask and boom, down goes the umpire. It's like, Oh Jesus, that never <laughs> happened before. You know, it's like, I mean, that's, it's hysterical. Some of the stuff you see in the sport now. <laughs> it is crazy. Uh, let's see what else we got, John. All right. Uh, I got one for you. I got one for you while we're on umpires. All right. So we're in Milwaukee. Um, and uh, I got a, a gentleman by the name of Ted Hendry uh, behind me. He's, he's an older umpire. He's, he's, he's really a nice man, but, he was, he was having a few problems later in his career. And there's a, a guy on a mound that was a two-pitch pitcher. He was either fastball or breaking ball, one or the other. And Mike Matheny is catching for the Brewers. And so I'm actually kind of looking breaking ball because this I had already tattooed one of his fastballs. And so here comes a breaking ball, and it's a 58-footer, right? And Matheny picks it. I mean, absolutely perfect. He picks it and frames it just like that. And Jim Hendry goes, strike. <laughs> and and I, like, I never really kind of like turned around and talked to the umpires. I always put my head down. But this time I had to turn around. I go, Jim, uh, you do know that ball bounced, huh? He goes, oh, no, Will. He said, Mike framed it perfectly. And I looked down at Matheny, and Matheny's got his head down, and he is horse laughing, right? <laughs> I go, Jim, I swear to God, that ball bounced. I said, why don't you ask Mike? He goes, Mike? Did that ball bounce? <laughs> and Matheny just goes, yeah, like that. He just shook his head. And Jim Hendry was like, oh, my God, Will, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, no, Jim. I said, that's fine. I said, I just wanted you to know that the ball bounced. He's like, yeah, but Mike framed it perfectly. I said, don't worry about it, Jim. No big deal. But the next time I had Hendry behind home plate, my strike zone was about this big. <laughs> that reminds me of I was playing for the Red Sox and – Sean Bosky. I don't know if you remember Sean Bosky. You know, right hand pitcher for the Angels. Good stuff, but not overpowering stuff. And uh, Jim McKeon's behind the dish, and he calls a pitch, you know, probably three or four inches outside, which was the norm, you know, back then for a strike. And then he throws one inside about two or three inches, and he calls that a strike too. And I'm like, damn. Uh, I turn around. I was like, Jim. I say, you can't give him inside and outside. He's not freaking Cy Young. And he goes, you ain't Babe Ruth either. <laughs> said, well, all right. And I just, I just turned around and I, I was like chuckling. I couldn't say anything after that. You know? and so, that was a pretty damn good one, Jim. Yeah, that was a great comeback. And that, so, that's, that's kind of the interactions that we were talking about before between players and umpires. You know, if you, if you get these automated systems, you're going you're gonna to lose that. And and that was that was part of the fun, you know. We sitting there laughing and giggling and chuckling, and you're gonna lose that in, in the game, and that's that's a shame. It is. It is. I mean, I remember. So, would... so here's another one. All right, John. While while I got you know Jeff here, you know, I'm I'm one of his mentors, right? Right. And so, you know, we had a rule that you picked up all your stuff around the batting cage and and you <laughs> went and put it away because you know you didn't want somebody stepping on a bat or stepping on a helmet or anything like that you know getting hurt whatever around a batting cage so uh mr fry right here um for about two or three days in a row there were bats that were laying around the batting cage and so i took the bat and you turn it around so now i'm holding a barrel and that the handle's up here and you just went 
<laughs> on the back of a batting cage and it break the, it break the bat right yeah so i literally did it like three days in a row <laughs> and so he's like just going just going i wonder who's breaking on my backs and i'm just standing there right <laughs> and i'm like i'm like jeff i said you hadn't figured it out yet i said it's me and he goes why are you breaking my back? I said, because you're leaving them around a batting cage. We got a rule, you know, pick up your shit and bring your shit and put it in a, in a, you know, the bat rack and all that. And so he, he got the hang of it. He did it, you know, and, and he, he was, he bought into the program. Right. So now we fast forward a few years and he's with Boston and I go into the batting cage and whose bat is right there? Mr. Jeff Fry. And I went, and I broke that one. And the next day he comes out during bat rise. He goes, you broke my bat again, didn't you? Went, yeah. He goes, stop breaking my bat. Man, I might've hit 300, Will, if I had those good bats and you can't break them all. <laughs> so I got a funny uh, Will Clark story and we won't keep you much longer, Will, but um, I was in a ball in Gastonia and my first full season, a ball, we had a day game in Asheville, North Carolina. And, uh, there was four of us and, um, we were looking for somewhere to go have a beer. So there was a hotel up the road that we walked to that was closed. And we sit in there and we're, you know, in the minor leagues, you know, well, you don't have much money to spend for taxi rides and things like that. So we walk up to this holiday and it's closed. We're sitting there. We call taxi. And all of a sudden, these four girls walk in, and they looked, went to the bar, and it was closed. And they're like, we're like, yeah, the bar's closed. And um, they said, well, what are you guys doing? I was like, well, we're going to take a taxi downtown. They said, well, we'll give you a ride. And we're like, that's friggin' 20 bucks we just saved right there, right? So we hop in this van, um, these four girls, and as soon as we get in, they're like, what are you guys' names? And my buddy, Mike Hamilton goes, Oh, Gino Petrolli. And somebody else said somebody else's name. And they asked me and I said, Oh, Will Clark. And one of the guys said his real name. And we're like looking at him like, what's wrong with you, dude? Why didn't you make up a name? So sure enough, we get a ride downtown and I uh, say, Hey, thanks for the ride. All this stuff. Well, the guy who happened to tell the girls his real name invited him to the freaking game the next day. Right. Well, my girlfriend's coming to the game the next day. And, um, <laughs> You know, and I know this and all of a sudden now it's next day. We're at the game, getting ready for the game, you know, get, getting their stuff together. And all of a sudden I hear those girls are here. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So these girls are at the game now. Now, now I look and there's my girlfriend sitting uh, two or three rows above the dugout. Right. And I'm just like, hopefully nothing happens. I don't know. I mean, we just took a ride from these girls to save money. And uh, all of a sudden, Jose Hernandez goes stay in the dugout i'm like why he goes those girls are here i was like i'm on deck <laughs> i can't stay in the dugout right and so i walk out to the on deck circle and all of a sudden i hear this in the background hey will hey will about five times and i'm like oh shit and i'm like not even turning around or nothing and i just kind of happened to like glance over my shoulder at this girl in the walkway right behind my girlfriend yelling directly at me hey will hey will and I'm like, oh i'm in big trouble you feel like thank god i told her i was will clark <laughs> i'm hosed you know and so after the game there's my girlfriend going uh so who's will <laughs> like, and i had to go into the explanation about uh you know hey we need a ride whatever we don't have much money we're making 850 bucks a month for taxes right so but that was that was uh and i do remember you breaking my bat yeah and, no. you know well, those are those are the kind of stories those are the kind of stories that you just laugh and giggle i mean and you know as you well know probably the audience don't i mean there's so many stupid stories and one stupid story just leads to the next one and uh you know we had a we had a guy, it was, it was right after you had left the Rangers. Um, he actually played in the big leagues for a few years. A uh, guy's name was Julio Santana, and he was a reliever. And this is when they started interleague play. And, you know, a reliever in interleague play wasn't going to get in that bat. He might get one in a blue moon, right? And so, so Santana 
gets a dozen bats ordered and we're having problems getting wood, right? I mean, you know, the guys who are playing every day can't get bats and this moron gets a dozen bats shipped to him. And so I, I took a hammer and chisel and I chiseled his name out of every bat. And I put them all back in the box. So he came in the next day and had the ass. Hey, who, who took my who took my name off of the bat? That would be me, because you're not a hitter. Oh, that's that's hilarious. That's, that, that's funny that uh, you're right about the stories because one story leads to the next. Oh, yeah. Julio Santana was in instructional league when I was in instructional league in 19, let's see, 1989. And he was a hard throwing Dominican kid yep. that basically was a thrower. You know, yep. he threw mid 90s back then. And uh, Oscar Acosta, I don't know if you remember Oscar Acosta. He was one of the pitching coaches in the Meyer leagues. I do remember Oscar. Oscar was, uh, you know, known for his temper, but the pitchers loved him. And Oscar called me over one day and said, with Julio, and said, I want you to tell Julio what you're going to do to his 95-mile-an-hour four-seam fastball right down the middle. I said, I'm going to light it up. He goes, exactly. You have to learn how to locate your fastball. You can't throw it by everybody. But it's, it's funny how one story leads to the next. Oh, yeah. They, they just get better and better and better. So, so you know, Santana, <laughs> Santana. He's, he's pitching for us, and he just keeps flipping up these sliders in hitters' counts. 1-0 was a slider. 2-1 was a slider. 3-1 was a slider. And so he went through about two or three games where he had some success, but the scouting report hadn't got out on him. And so I told him, I said, Julio, I said, you can't keep throwing these sliders in these hitters, uh, you know, in these, in these counts. I said, pretty soon, I said, a major leaguer is going to hit it. I said, that's first off. Second off, if I ever got a face yet, I said, I'm definitely hitting your slider. Well, as luck would have it, two or three years later, he gets traded to Montreal. I face him with St. Louis. I faced him three times. First pitch slider three times in a row. Whack, whack, <laughs> whack. Julio, you still haven't learned your lesson, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> And then we get, you know, all kinds of stupid stuff that goes on in the clubhouse. You know, we talked about some of the pranks and all that. And, you know, Jeff knows because, because being teammates with Rusty Greer, Rusty always had a washcloth, right? You know, everybody gets in the showers and we just shower and all that sort of stuff. Rusty had to have a washcloth and we nicknamed it Rusty's Rag, right? <laughs> and every day we would hide Rusty's Rag in a different area of the clubhouse. And he's like, Will, God damn it, quit hiding my freaking rag. <laughs> Rusty was a piece of work, man. Rusty, oh, I used to rag Rusty on being so cheap. So he's like, Rusty, um, you can't have my receipt um, for breakfast with me, you, and Darren Oliver when we went to breakfast because you didn't pay. I paid. So no, don't ask me for my receipt. And also, Rusty, back in the day, you know, we used to, there would be, John, there's two buses generally. I don't know if they still do it today this way, but there's generally two buses to the field. One early bus and one a little bit later. On the road, when you're I, on the road. Yeah, on the yeah, road. Yeah, and okay. I would, you know, I always wanted to go earlier. So, and most times I would take a taxi before the first bus because I wanted to get to the field. There's nothing to do in the hotel. I want to go to the ballpark and hang out and play cards or, you know, go in the cage or whatever. And, but every time I went down to the lobby, Rusty would be sitting down there. And I'm like, what are you doing, Rusty? He's like, oh, I'm just waiting for somebody to share a taxi with. I'm like, you can't pay $10 of your own money. You want to split it, you know, in half. And then we get to the stadium and there'd be, it's like, hey, can I get a receipt? And I was like, damn, Rusty, come on, a piece of cheap. And we're getting a hundred bucks a day meal money. Rusty was funny. He was funny. Yeah. He's well, been on. Uh, we yeah. could go on. We could go on all night, Will, and I, I really appreciate you coming on here. Um, I mean, it was uh, it was great to get to have. I had the it was my pleasure to be able to play with you, and especially on the right side of the infield, and getting <laughs> to watch you play. And you probably don't want to hear this, but 
the first part of your career, I was a little bit younger and I used to imitate you a little bit when I was playing <laughs> with football and stuff. Uh, but I got That's to fun. see it in person and uh, you had the, that beautiful timing and rhythm to your swing. And, yep. but I think the one thing that stood out to me is you were a freaking gamer and you laid it all out there on the line, every game, you were going to take that second baseman and knock him into left field. You were going to get in front of any ball you could, and you're going to do whatever it took to win a baseball game. And as a young player coming up and getting the, the privilege to play with you, I mean, that meant a lot to me because that's the way I always learned to play the game. Yeah. I thought well, that's the only way you're supposed to play the game. I, I, I really appreciate that, that compliment, but you know, it's, kind of how we grew up, you know, you and I grew up the same with just, a, you know, a few years apart, but, <clears throat> you know, everything was a competition with my father, you know, he made everything a game and you had to go out there and you had to win. And, you know, that definitely plays on, you know, in baseball when you go further on in your life. And I'm not walking out there to get my ass kicked. I'm, I'm going to do anything possible to put the ass kicking on him. Yeah. And that includes outworking somebody, outthinking somebody, and then passing that knowledge along to my teammates who are going to help me in this journey. And, uh, you know, it worked, it worked really good, you know, when I was in high school, college, uh, when I was in pro ball, when I got to San Francisco, we won immediately. And then all of a sudden, boom, we're in Texas and we're winning in Texas. So, you know, um, you know, it, it was my pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I've always told everybody that, you know, if somebody wants to describe me, um, you know, just call me a pro. I, I went out there to do it like the pros do it and uh, was able to live that journey for a long time. And now I'm trying to pass that along to the kids that I'm working with now. Awesome. And John, uh, thanks so much for, for everything you do for the Shegon Nation podcast and and uh, I'm so happy that your son, Kevin, is doing better. I know that was a scary time for you and your family. And uh, we had a few discussions during that time. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm just so happy that, that things are turning out uh, the way we all hoped and prayed. And I hope he continues to get better. Yeah, man, it's great. And, and having Will on the first time back after all of this, it's funny he just said that about his dad and competing with his dad. My wife almost killed me, but when Kevin was first coming out of surgery, he couldn't move that left side. And, Jeff, I may have sent you the video. I played him in air hockey. They had it at the hospital. He was trying to get his left arm going. I played left-handed, said, you're going to play left-handed. Uh, Will, I kicked his ass and enjoyed every minute of it. And I said, when you get better – you'll be able to kick my ass back, but this is the way we're going to do it. I, I win. I'm going to win, and I'm going to teach you that I'm going to – and I'm rubbing in. I'm a sore winner. But my kids know that I'm that way. They love it. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm not giving you a break. Don't give me brain surgery. You need to get the hand going. Let's go. And I can't. Yeah. <laughs> my wife did well, not think, like that. <laughs> yeah, but that, that gives you motivation too. All right, yeah, you know, I, I got to try to beat dad, so I got to get better. I got to work at it. Absolutely. You know? so, you know, that's a great motivational tool. And, you know, best of luck to Kevin and your family, too. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And and thanks, Jeff, of course, for keeping in touch. But, yeah, it was great. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it, Will. And I got a, a signature way to sign off. So this is uh, Jeff Fry from the Shigon Nation signing off with Will Clark and John Moore. Shigon! This has been the Shigon Nation podcast. Thanks for listening. For more fun merchandise or videos, go to shegonhitting.com. That's SheGoneHitting.com. And follow us on Twitter. We are at SheGonePod. That's at SheGonePod. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>